Father God, I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, this morning, Jesus. Lord, be with us. Continue to be with us. Speak to us. Use me, Lord, right now. It's your vessel, this broken and dirty vessel, Lord. Clean me, empty me, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today's uh, word is titled Doubt. How many of us have ever doubted something before? Four people? All right, all right, all right. Thank you, thank you. I've doubted things before. On a scale from one to ten, you could think about it in your head, where would you rank your faith today? Your faith. Now, I'm not talking about your faith in God. I'm talking about your faith in things. In things. Do you know that we put our faith, when we're driving 60, 70 miles an hour on a two-lane highway with the opposite, you know, with the other lane is opposite, you are trusting that the person on the opposite lane coming at you is going to stay in his lane. Have you ever wondered that? I mean, you're driving and you have control of your steering wheel, but you don't have control of the steering wheel of the guy coming towards you. But yet you have faith and you trust that he's going to stay in his lane or her. It's amazing when you think about these things. It's amazing when you think about the things that we actually put our faith in. Okay, let me give you a couple more. Amusement park rides. Hey, I love roller coasters. I'll be the first one in line. But do you know that you are putting your trust and faith in a machine? A machine that could break at any moment. I mean, you could be in the middle of a, and it could break. You could be coming down and it could break. What if the brakes don't work anymore? Who's going to stop it, right? Like, the thing is this. Like, we put our trust and faith in this machine. Many of us don't even doubt it getting on it. We just jump on. We get on airplanes, most of us. We get on airplanes. We fly across the ocean. And we have faith that pilot will keep us up there, number one. We have faith that... You know, nothing will break. I mean, we all see movies. Oh, the left engine's out. Oh, my God. And we see all that, right? We see all that, and we're like, well, we have faith. that Oh, that's just movies that never happens ever. We'll be fine. <laughs> we put our trust in pharmacists when we hand them a script that they're putting the right pills in the right bottles and that uh, we're not going to have things growing out of our heads and arms by taking those pills, right? We have faith in the surgeons when we go in for surgeries. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't especially when they're like, oh, don't worry about it. It's no problem. You'll be in and out. No reason to doubt. But we have faith and we put our trust in that man or woman. We put our faith in robots that are doing things now, right? We put our faith in computers and tech. We put our faith in cell phones. You know why? Because a lot of you guys, especially I was, you know, the younger generation, um, I was at the store and the guy in front of me was just like, hey, that's how he paid. He paid with his phone. Like he didn't, I just saw him pull his phone out and was like, hmm, and something like that. And then that was it. You do that? Look at that. It's not just the young folk. It's the younger folk, too. <laughs> you know, I think, I, I, I don't know, I struggled for, ask Kevin, I asked my son, I struggled to put cash app. <laughs> I struggled to finally get cash app. I don't trust those things. But that's, but that's how you pay for everything. My barber like, yo, cash app. Ah. Uh. Cash app everything, cash app everything. And the thing is, I struggle because many of us put our faith in our cell phones. What if your phone just does something and just sends your information to somebody else? Let's just send it to somebody else. What if? Oh, but there's malware, there's this, there's that. I don't trust that. I don't trust those things. 
If we're honestly, if we're honestly going to like ask ourselves this question, like how much do you trust God? Do you trust God as wholeheartedly as you trust all these things in your life? Think about it. Do you truly trust God as much as you trust all these other things? When I turn this button, it's going to turn on. You don't doubt it. You trust God like that? I'm going to take this pill because the doctor told me it's going to do this. You top it in it because you expect it to do that. Do you trust God as much as that? Are you wholeheartedly trusting him? If God shows up with an answer to your prayer, will you trust the answer? Would you trust the timing? Or will you doubt? Or will you doubt? Today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about someone who prayed for something for many years. And God finally answers his prayer. And when he answers his prayer, he doubts God. And that happens to so many of us. We pray and we pray and God answers, and yet we doubt when he does. Let's turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're just going to read uh, verses 18 and 20. Luke chapter 1, verses 18 and 20. <clears throat> and Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the, angel, and the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But, behold, you will be mute and not be able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Man, talk about, talk about a little hasty. That's, don't you think that's a little hasty? All right, let me tell you a little what's going on. Zechariah is a priest. He's a Jewish priest, and you need to understand these things so you get the full concept. I want you to know the context of our scripture. So Zechariah is, is a Jewish priest, and at this moment, at this moment, um, they, the, the priests had drawn lots. They cast lots. And by doing that, the one who was picked was Zechariah, but he was chosen by casting lots to then go into the altar of incense. He was the one that was going to tend to this, and he was the one that was going to perform the ceremony that happens. What happens is he would be the one to enter the temple, and he would burn the incense, and the incense was an expressive imagery of the prayers of Israel going up into heaven. So as, the, in, as they're burning the incense and the smoke was going up, it was symbolizing Israel's prayers going up to heaven. This was uh, a very high uh, uh, respected job. Not everybody could do this. It was something that it was, uh, what do you call it, high reverence. And it was, it was something that, you know, he was doing. So, he, so, so here we know a little bit about who he is and what he was doing. As he's doing this, as he's in there, an angel of the Lord appears to him, Gabriel. And he says, look, homie, look, you've been praying. I know because if you read previously, you know that it's been a while. It's, they've been barren. They have no kids. And he says, listen, God's going to give you a child. And his response is what we read. Well, how? Now, the message that the angel is bringing to Zacharias is an answer to Zacharias and Elizabeth's prayer for a child. But it's not just an answer for Zacharias. It's also an answer for the nation of Israel. Elizabeth and Zechariah had no child and they've been praying for. Israel, on the other hand, was going through some dark times and they have been praying for the Messiah. The answer that this angel brought, this good news that the angel brought was the birth of future John the Baptist was going to pave the way for the Messiah. So this is a twofold answer 
to the people. And although this is what he's been praying for for many years, he doubts the answer that he's been seeking. We all have moments of doubt. We all do. We, we raised our hands earlier. We all have moments of doubt. But I want us to understand, at least, at least by the end of this, that you can trust God. We can trust him, absolutely trust him. Will you ever have doubts again? Yes. Yes, you will. But you cannot allow those doubts to dictate your actions. We can't allow that. <clears throat> the first point I want to make is that people of faith will experience doubt. So off the bat, you're watching, you're listening, you're here. Don't let anyone ever tell you, oh, you're supposed to be Christian. Oh, I hate that. It's in those moments that I, I want to act the least Christian. <laughs> you're supposed to be Christian. Please, please, don't tell me what I'm supposed to be. Listen, so when they tell you, oh, you're supposed to be Christian, you can't, you can't doubt that or you can't, you can't question that or you can't. Listen to me. We're all going to have doubts. We're all going to question things. We're all going to wonder if this is what God wants or if this is not what God wants. And if you're not wondering those things, then do you care what God wants? Do you understand that? If you're not, at some point in your life, if you're not worried about does God want this or do I want this? Does God want this? or do I? If you're living your life never asking yourself, then you don't care what God wants. You're just doing whatever you want. People of faith, we will experience doubt. We will. Do not condemn yourself when you find yourself questioning. Don't say, oh, I must not have a relationship with God like I thought I did because I, I'm not so sure about this. But if I was a Christian like so-and-so told me, I should have never, never been second-guessing myself. Luke makes it clear in the previous verses of this chapter that Elizabeth and Zacharias, that they were blameless, they were upright, they were people of great faith. I mean, hey, the dude's in the altar of incense. Not everybody gets to that place. He's there, and, and it was even, it's even taken, uh, they even take the steps to talk about how they are blameless and upright. So here you have Zechariah, after praying for a son for decades, you have Zechariah being an elder priest who's upright and righteous. You have here Zechariah who must be versed in scripture, right? He knows the word. He knows his scripture. You have Zechariah visited by an angel of the Lord. I mean, like, boom. Right there in the temple of the Lord. How could he doubt? You guys must be saying, if that was me, I wouldn't doubt anything. The angel, you know, I'm in the altar of incense. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I wouldn't doubt. <laughs> the funny thing is that we go through moments in our lives that it may not be this exact thing. Because, I mean, none of y'all are burning incense in the altar of incense, right? But the thing is, there's moments of your lives that it's so obvious, maybe for outside looking in of what God is doing and how God is answering. And, you're, and you look at some people and like, do you, do you not just see what God is doing in your life? Do you not see this? Has anybody ever felt that way? Like you're talking to somebody, you're like, are you not? Are you, open your eyes. How can you doubt this? That's one of the benefits of having Christian friends that truly love the Lord, seek the Lord, and have the Lord's presence because they're the ones that smack you up and like, yo, God is in this. God is in this. <laughs> Soft smack. Spiritual smack. Somebody can be like, Pastor said I can smack you. <laughs> so the very thing that Zacharias had been praying for forever was the very thing that he ended up doubting that God could do. The very thing. How, God? I'm an old man. And my wife isn't a spring chicken anymore either. <laughs> she ain't no spring chicken. I don't know how we're going to do this. You know, it's it real easy, you know, as I mentioned, to look at him and be like, man, what's wrong with Zacharias? What's wrong with him? 
What's wrong with him? How can you not see this as God? But if you were Zacharias, and you were as old as Zacharias, then you would understand, like, come on. I think, I think that boat has sailed, God. I think, I think it's, it's past time, you know? If we're honest with ourselves, um, there are moments that we have prayed to the Lord, truly prayed, and we don't hear an answer. We don't see an answer. It takes time longer than what we may expect, and we say, God, are you even in this? I have doubted some things because I just don't hear back from God in my time, on my time. God, are you even in this? Do you even want this? Do you want me to go there? Do you want me to go here? Even, even, the, even the decision for merging our two churches, I, I didn't know. I went before God and said, God, yes. God, yes. God, no. I didn't know. And, and we prayed, and, and I doubted because I was like, is this something that you want? Is this something that I want? Is this something, you know, that is, you know, is it, is it just a convenience thing, or is it, is it going to be this? I mean, and we went back and forth, and I doubted even in the midst back and forth. There was doubt. And if you were outside looking, if you were from the outside looking in, you'd see, dude, God is all up in this. God is all up in this. But when you're the one in there, sometimes we don't see. And what stops us from seeing, what stops us from seeing is our, our own limitations. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. You know, the best thing we can do when we're praying and we don't know and we're doubting or we're seeking and we don't hear back from him, in that waiting process, the best thing that we could do is just get ready. Get ready. The worst thing is, oh, my goodness. This doesn't happen in my house. My wife is amazing at this. But, but I know other households that, that, that are, are, are tormented by this. When it's time to go somewhere, right? When it's time to go somewhere and uh, it's like, hey, we're going to leave at this time. Get ready. Listen for so forth. And something happens, and, I'm, and there's a delay. There's a small delay. But then when you come home, like, okay, you ready? Oh, I'll start getting ready now. Wait, what? No, in that waiting process, you need to prepare yourself. In the waiting process, you need to, you need to uh, align your heart with his. In that waiting process, we need to repent. In that waiting process, we need to restore relationships. In that waiting process, we need to seek his presence in our lives in a powerful way. And I'm going to tell you one of the benefits of doing this in the waiting process. There have been times that I have been waiting for certain things, and I seek him and get in his presence while I'm waiting. And all of a sudden, in his presence, I'm like, wait a minute. I don't think I even want that anymore, <laughs> which is not me not wanting it. It was because I grew closer to him. It's because I sought his heart instead of mine. Now, in that seeking, in that preparation, he instilled in me that desire to say, wait, that's not what you want. That's not what I want. And I began to not want the things that he doesn't want from me. And I begin to want the things that he does want from me. If you don't seek him and you don't prepare him for yourself during the waiting process, then you'll never know if that's just something that you want. Or is it something that he wants? Okay. On top of that, it's hard to doubt when you're living with an expectation that he's going to show up. If you are living your life with an expectation that God is showing up in my circumstances, he's going to show up in my life, he's going to show up in my home, in my marriage, in my family, he's going to show up, he's going to show up, he's going to show up, and there's less room for doubt. Because there's an expectation that Christ is going to be in that, in that situation, in that, in that circumstance. So Gabriel tells Zacharias, you're going to be a daddy. Zacharias uh, doesn't believe. He says, can't be. I'm too old. And she's too old. The angel said, okay. Well, God sent me. 
I mean, you do know I'm an angel, right? <laughs> God sent me to tell you, you didn't believe me, so now you can't talk. <laughs> now you'll be mute until it's fulfilled. Until it's fulfilled. He was so focused more on his own circumstances, stuck on his own limitations, knowing, okay, well, I'm limited. My circumstances that I'm old, right? And he was stuck on the own possibilities. Well, it's impossible for us to have a baby at this age. He was so stuck on that. I'm old. I lost my mojo. I'm tired. Whatever the case may be. Listen, the thing is, it's funny, but that's us. We're the same way. We pray to God. He's trying to answer us sometimes. And we're just like, oh, yeah, well, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I mean, let me give you an example because I know some of you guys are like, well, I never tell him I don't believe him. All right. <laughs> you pray for a promotion or you pray for God to elevate your career, and then you lose your job. And you say, oh, I reject that. That's not God. Mm, I guess what? Maybe it is. Because you know what? Maybe in order to be elevated, you need to be somewhere else. And you didn't know that, but God knew that. And what happens is if we, if we walk around rejecting those things, then what you're doing is the same thing Zachariah said. Yeah, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. That's us, man, all the time. God, use me more. Oh, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> use me more, and then he opens opportunities for you to learn the word. He opens opportunities for you to connect with other people and study the scriptures, and you don't take it. But you want to be used by God. But you don't want to study his word. That has nothing to do with doubt. Another nugget, Al. <laughs> doubt focuses on what we can't do rather than what God can do. Doubt will focus on what we can't do rather than what God can do. And so if you find yourself saying, I can't do this, or, or we can't get this done, or there's no way that we can do this, you're right. You're probably right. There is no way you might be able to do it. There is nothing that you can probably do. There is nothing that we can, but God can. But God can. And we need to shift our focus to the one that can do. Doubt will hinder. Doubt will hinder our, um, God's work in your life. Doubt will hinder God's work in your life. Because, you know, God's going to have his way no matter what. But faith, faith moves mountains. This is one of those scriptures that we, uh, we, we were raised to hear. Like we were taught this at, like, in Sunday school when we were kids, right? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. And it's all about faith. If you just have faith. The thing is, hey, he's not even asking for a lot. He's not asking for a lot. The scripture says, you don't, have, you don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth. If you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible. Mustard seeds are one of the smallest seeds. They're one of the smaller ones. They're real tiny. I think they almost look like a sesame seed, almost like that. But they're real tiny. And, and the scripture is telling me, God is telling me, Jesus is saying this at this point. He's saying, if you just had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move mountains with that. So he's not telling you to, to, to have this overwhelming faith that you have to have this completely huge faith just to believe in him. He says, just believe in me. If you could just have at least this much, the things I could do with that are, are endless. Many times, 
in our walk with God, it's, it's knowing our own weaknesses. It's being aware of, what we, of where we're weak at that can actually contribute to doubt. If you know you're not a good speaker, right? Let's just say I don't speak well in front of people. And then all of a sudden, um, God is uh, elevating you to speak in front of people. You're going to quickly doubt that because you're saying, well, I know that I can't speak in front of people. So now I'm doubting, God, you can't possibly be calling me to speak in front of people because I know that I can't. Who else was like that in the word of God? Moses. Gideon. Yeah, you, you got me mixed up with somebody. I mean, you know, who, who, who else? Who else? You can't be pointing at me, God, because you know I don't talk in front of people. You can't be asking me to lead because I don't even talk to people. Can't be asking me to sing because I only do that in the shower. <laughs> Listen, I found out that we have some other singers in the house. We have other singers in the house, and I'm not going to point you out right now. I won't. I won't even look at you. Look at this. My eyes are closed. I'm not even looking at you, but you feel that burning inside because you know I'm talking about you. God can't possibly use me for singing. I'm too shy. No. Maybe you're too shy, but he ain't. You just got to lean on him. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, right? It says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Do you want God to be strong in your life? Do you want him to, to show out, to show up? Just acknowledge it's not about me. It's not what I can do, but it's what you can do. Doubt will hinder our mission, and prayer is the fuel to the mission. This has happened to many of us, and I'm going to share it right now. You ever felt the urge to pray for somebody? You felt the urge to pray for somebody, and then all of a sudden, you tell them, like, let me put them on my prayer list. I'll pray for them later, or I'll submit it for Tuesday night prayer, right? We have an urge to pray for somebody, but we say, you know what, let me just tell Erica, pray for them on prayer night. Which that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother nugget, Al, about God telling you to pray, but then you tell, you pass it on to somebody else to do it. You know, that's a whole nother thing, right? <laughs> yeah. And so what happens is, we, we, you know, you have this urge to pray for somebody and you decide I'll pray for them later. That's why, and, and I'm, I was guilty of this. I was guilty of this for, for the many, many for the years in the beginning uh, of whenever I started in ministry. Um, it was like, okay, no, I'll definitely pray about that. And I walk away, and guess what? I would forget to pray about that. So you get into the habit of saying, you know what? Let's pray right now. Let's pray right now. Let's pray right now. Um, and so we, uh, <laughs> people ask you to pray for them, and you say, yeah, yeah, I got you. I'll write it down. Tonight, when I read, I'll pray for you. There's a story. I'm going to tell you a story now. True story, true story. And you guys... Have, that have been in church a while, we've heard this story because this story has been passed on from generations to generations um, in, within the church world. There was a missionary that was home visiting. Like he was stationed out in Africa, but he was home for a couple weeks to be with his family, to be with his home church. Um, and, and he was testifying. He was speaking to his home uh, church and just telling them about the things that were happening in Africa. Um, as he's telling them, you know, he's saying what, I, what my job is on the mission field is that I'm, I'm the one that, that I work in a hospital in Africa. So I, I, we work with medical supplies and we do minor, minor things, you know, in, in the medical field. Um, so practically he was like, like a nurse assistant, but he was a missionary version of a nurse assistant. His, alter, his, his second job was that every two weeks he had to get on his bicycle, on a bicycle, and ride into town. Town was two days away on a bicycle. And the halfway point, he would camp out like in the, in the jungle. 
who camp out in the jungle, and then the next day we'll wake up and get, make it to town. On this particular trip, he gets to town, and he sees two guys fighting. They're fighting, they're fighting. One of them's guys is real bloody, and, and he goes and he tends to him. He patches his wounds, he cleans them up, he gets them ready, and he sends them off his way. He gets his supplies and money and whatever he needs to take back to the, to the camp, and he rides his bike. Two weeks later, he comes back, and he sees the same guy that he patched up. And he's like, hey, what's going on? And that guy says, listen, I got to tell you something. After, while you were tending to me, I realized that you had money and you had medical supplies. So when you went into the jungle, we followed you. And we were going to kill you and take all your, your supplies and your money. And he says, and the missionary was just like listening at this point. Um, he's like, but when we got to your camp, because we knew you had to camp out at the halfway point, we followed you, and when you went to sleep, we began to move in closer to the camp. But what made us stop was that we, we looked up, and we saw that there were 26 armed guards surrounding your camp. And we were like, oh. And then the missionary laughed. He's like, I was completely by myself. I'm always by myself. And he's like, no, I didn't just see him. We all saw him. We all saw him. Now, at this point of the story, somebody from the um, congregation jumps up. He says, so-and-so is like, what day did this happen? When did this happen? And the missionary said, oh, it was this day at this time, this and that. And so he says, you won't believe this. That, while it was nighttime in Africa, it was daytime here, and I was getting ready to go golfing. And I had a sudden urge to pray for you. But it was so strong that I couldn't just stay here and pray. I called the men of the church, and I told them, meet me at the church. We need to pray for this missionary. He said he got to the church, and a group of men got together, and they were praying and interceding at the same time. So then he said, hey, can you guys stand up? The guys that were here praying for, um, praying for the missionary. So the missionary saw these men getting up. And he was like amazed, not amazed that, at like who they were, but he was amazed that the total count of the men that stood up which was 26. This was a true story. Hallelujah. True story. This is real. When God has urged you to pray, don't doubt his timing. Don't doubt the effectiveness of your prayers. Don't doubt what God can do or why he's even asking you to do it. Because sometimes we get so caught up, but why asking me, God? You could be asking so-and-so. You could be asking, no, he's asking you. Don't doubt that. Don't doubt that. Man. There are people that are crying out, God, use me, use me, use me. And then God wakes them up at 3 o'clock in the morning like, oh, now 3 o'clock, God, you got the wrong one. I need to go back to sleep. And God is saying, you asked for me to use you, and I'm waking you up to use you. Because, see, sometimes we want to be used in the way that we want to use. God, I want you to use me, but this is what I want to do. I want to stand on this part of the altar. I want to use that kind of mic. I want this kind of lighting. And we go, we say, use me, God, but under these circumstances, we talked about circumstances, under uh, conditions, right? Use me, God, with these conditions. And then we give God conditions. My wife gave me an awesome analogy yesterday. We were talking about something, about uh, giving people conditions, right? And she's like, it's like, it's like when you go to the bank, and you ask them for a loan, but then you tell them, I'll pay you, you know, when the money's right, no interest, you know, um, you know, maybe I'll skip a month or two, and you're giving them the conditions, and they're the ones that loaned you the money. We want to be used by God, and then we give him conditions. And then you wonder why he hasn't used you. And then you wonder why people that show up and, and just get saved, God is ele elevating them into places where you have been like, wait a minute, but I've been here for 15 years. What's up? Are you surrendering your life to him? 
Don't doubt the effectiveness of your prayers. We just said that in a minute. Don't doubt. Sometimes we doubt how God will use our prayers because we say, well, I don't really know how to pray very well. We hear this all the time, right? I don't know how to pray very well. Listen, don't doubt the effectiveness of your prayers just because you think you don't know how to pray very well. Well, I don't have the correct prayer language. I don't understand, like, the right terms. Listen, don't doubt effectiveness because you don't know all the church words. Well, I haven't really been praying for so long, so if I pray now, this prayer might not be as powerful as so-and-so's prayer who's been praying for 20 years. No. Listen. Listen. Those thoughts are straight demonic. I say that because they don't come from God. They come from the devil himself to make you doubt the power of prayer. He doesn't want you praying. Why do you think... The most unattended church night in the world is prayer night. The most unattended church, uh, uh, service in the, in, the, in the body of Christ across the world is prayer night. Prayer night. But yet, that's where the power is at. That's where he does miracles. That's where the chains are broken. That's where the captives are set free. That's where you experience the, 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 the presence of God in powerful ways. And then, and then he empowers you. Listen, my mom and I were talking just, just yesterday, and she's like, the church doesn't understand um, that we need to be asking for the power and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need this. We need this. Guess what? The, the power, the, 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 the baptism of the Holy Spirit doesn't show up by you just, what's up? You seek it. You, 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 you pray. You get on your knees. You desire that. You go before God. And then when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, guess what? You are now empowered to do the work of God. There's so many Christians trying to work with no strength, with no power. They're repeating words that they see. They're repeating sermons that they hear. They're repeating this, repeating that. But they have no power because they haven't been seeking God. Okay. All right, we're getting off topic. You guys, in these sermons, I kind of look back on them. You guys can see my adult ADHD, you know, in my sermons. I got to bring it. See, that's why I need the outline here. I'll be all over them now. <laughs> like, wait, wasn't he talking about now? <laughs> oh, man. All right. It's easier to doubt. We, 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 we have the problem that it's easier to doubt and then be right than to have faith and be wrong. We never want to be wrong. So for us, I mean, just, you know what? Let me just doubt because I'm probably right. Because what happens is when you have faith and then you have the possibility of being wrong, you know, our prideful selves, you know, we don't want to be wrong. You know, but even in those moments of doubt, we cannot use doubt as an excuse to stop from what God has called us to do. We can't. Doubt will rob us of blessings. Doubt will rob us of blessings. So Luke, uh, Luke in that same chapter, let's continue the verses. Uh, let's read. I'm, I just, in, in 19 and 20, he says, I don't have to read it because we, we just read this. But in 19 and 20, this is where, um, you know, Gabriel's response we should be reminded of Gabriel's response in our circumstances today. Like whenever, whenever we find ourselves doubting God's promises, when we find ourselves doubting God's promises and doubting his, we should be reminded about what Gabriel said to Zechariah. You know, when we doubt God's promises um, and what he can do in our lives, Gabriel, he starts by declaring this. He says, I am Gabriel. First of all, if you ever do a study on, you know, how people like to study different supernatural things and Gabriel, so yo, Gabriel is a G. Yes, that dude. He says, I am Gabriel. What is your voice today? Like, are you saying, are you saying I am old, like Zacharias, or are you saying I am Gabriel? Gabe, well, the word Gabriel means, right? is God is my warrior. 
God is my warrior. One tells, I am old, I, I am Gabriel. One tells about limitations, and, one, and the other declares um, our place with God. One uh, is all about, well, I'm, I'm old, I'm, I'm limited, I don't think I can do this. And the other one is saying, I'm, I'm, God, is, God is my king, and he could do it all. Doubt will rob us of God's blessing. Peter was blessed to walk on water, right? When he was walking on water towards Jesus, he began to doubt, and then he sank. The Israelites were promised the land, and they sent the 12 spies out, and 10 of them were like, I don't know, man. They got these big people over there. We can't take them. And they instilled doubt into the nation of Israel, and therefore, guess what? 40 years later, after most of them had died out, then they were able to. But 40 years in the desert, in the wilderness, because you doubt it, who God was and what he was going to do after he promised. Listen, if God took them, I mean, you see, this is, this is us reading it. Like, we're looking at them like, come on, man, come on. But we weren't there. But God took them and said, here, this is it. Just like many of us, he says, this is what I want you to do. This is where I want you to go. This is what I want you to say. And we doubt. We doubt. And there's consequences because in those moments, we, we, it's, like, it's like we're saying we, our doubt will just, it sucks out the blessing. We miss out. We miss out. We miss out. Zacharias is now mute until after his son is born. In verse 21 to 23, let's read 21 and 23. It says, and the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. I mean, he was in there chatting it up with Gabriel, so. <laughs> but when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. So. So this is what happens in, in these moments. The priest who's in there, um, um, tending to the altar of incense, he does all his stuff. Incense goes up. He's praying. The incense represents the prayers of Israel going up to heaven. He comes out. At this point, the priest comes out, and he's supposed to declare a blessing over the people. This is, this is the function of the priest. So after he does this, after he does this, he comes out, and then he addresses the nation, he stands there, and then he proclaims a blessing over the nation of Israel, right? But he can't do that because he can't speak. So they don't get blessed. <laughs> and he, and he's, uh, he can't talk. Sometimes your doubt doesn't just affect you. Think about this when you're thinking about the people that you love, the, peop the people that you want to see closer to God, the people that you want to see transformed, the people that you want to see healed, the people that you want to see delivered. Think about this. Your doubt isn't just affecting you. It's not. Somewhere in your life, there's somebody watching you. Somewhere in your life, there's someone tending and, and, and paying attention to how you react and how you speak and how you treat, and, how, and, and somebody's watching you. If you doubt God's presence, if you doubt his glory, if you doubt his, his sovereignty, if you doubt anything that, that, that God is asking of you, somebody's watching, and your doubt not only robs you of the blessing, but will rob them as well. Parents, this is particular, this, this is definitely applies to your parents. It will definitely affect your children if you refuse to, to believe God's promises on your life. Zachariah was supposed to come out, proclaim the blessing, but he couldn't. Gabriel was sent to share the good news of Zechariah. The good news, 
You, good news not for just for Zechariah, but the good news for Israel. Now, remember I told you, God's going to have his way either way, right? So it didn't stop, you know, either one from coming. It didn't stop John the Baptist or Jesus from showing up. It's not going to stop that. But at that moment, those people walked away without knowing, without the blessing. At that moment. So, so, so he, the angel comes to bless them, to say, hey, not only are you blessed, the nation is blessed, um, your son's going to pave the way for Jesus. I mean, hey, boom, party is great. But he couldn't share that. He couldn't share the great news because he doubted. You know, that is what a church without faith is like. If our church doesn't have faith, we can't share the good news. We can invite someone to a social club. We can invite them to hang out with us, eat with us, go to picnics with us. But if we lack faith, if we lack faith, the good news is not being shared. You see, because what happens is that lacking of faith, this unbelief, this doubt, it keeps us from sharing the gospel with others because you don't even believe it. Doubt keeps us from living uh, a life full of blessing. And what happens is it keeps us from living blessed lives. And we have people around us and say, you're supposed to be Christians? Why are you always broke? Why are you always this? Why are you always going through problems? Why do you always have issues? Why do you always, I mean, like, man, we're all going to go through stuff, but we shouldn't be living a life like that. We all go through things, but our life shouldn't always be down here. When you're a son and a daughter of a king. Are you a son are you a daughter of a king? Are you? So the question is like, what blessings are you forfeiting, forfeiting because of your lack, because of your doubt? What are you forfeiting? Like, what are you missing out on? Are you sick? Is there somebody sick? And because your lack of faith and your doubt, that person remains sick? Are we missing out on deliverance in our lives and the lives of others because we lack, we, we doubt what God can do? <sighs> this person's been on drugs for 30 years. They'll never stop. Wow. Let's pray. Let's pray. No, I don't think God, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's going to work. Are you saying that the God that I serve can't change that? Are you, are, you, are, you, are you belittling my God to tell him that he's not capable of doing whatever he feels like? Are you missing out on, 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 on blessings within your family, uh, restoration of your marriage, your family, your, your, your friends because you doubt? Is there doubt? Let me just say this. And I said this already, but I want you to understand this. God's plans are underway. They're going to happen. Don't get a little puffed up to think that it can't happen without you. Because <laughs> it will happen without you. Wait, wait, wait. He's, like, he's like, if you don't praise me, the, the rocks will cry out. It's funny. We had a thing like, you wanna, we had a, thing, a, a little saying one time. It's like, you want to be replaced by a rock? Like, do you want to be replaced by a rock? With or without you, God will have his way. The church is preparing for the return of Christ. We are. I know and I believe and I am in expectation of my Lord to come back for his bride. I am. His plans and blessings are all poured out. He pours his blessings and he, and, and he uses those within his plans that, that will trust him, that will believe in him, 
that say, use me, God, however you like. I believe that you can do the impossible. There's no limitation for you. The question is, will you be, the, will you be of the ones that fully trust in him? Will you be part of the plan? Remember, he has a plan. His will will be done. And you have a choice to be a part of it. You have a choice to be a part of it. Lastly, God's promises are God's promises. There's no better way to say it. God's promises are God's promises. If you read verses 24 and 25 to wrap up that little segment there, it says, Now those days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So it happened just as Gabriel told Zechariah. There was good news for this elderly couple. They were going to have a baby. In their age. <laughs> Everybody with kids like, oh, I don't want kids at that age. There was good news for Zechariah and Elizabeth. There was good news for Israel. There was good news for the world. The prayers had been answered. Let me tell you guys something. God's delays in our lives when we're asking him, we're praying, we're seeking, when we, when we really need to see him do something and sometimes we don't, those delays are not necessarily a denial. Sometimes we're quick to say, oh, he's not listening or oh, he's not going to answer this prayer. And we think because he hasn't that he won't. Wait doesn't mean no. Even though for my three-year-old daughter, it seems like you tell these kids to wait. And like, I don't want to wait. Like, like, no. Like, that's a bad word. Let's just wait. No. But God is probably looking at us like a bunch of three-year-olds. Because we, we, we pray to him. We go to talk to him. And then he says, all right, I got you. Just got to wait a minute. Wait a minute. Come on. His weight doesn't mean no. You know that his timing and his methods and his ways are definitely better than ours. He knows it all. He knows what we're capable of. He knows what we're going to, he knows the future. He knows the past. He knows the present. His timing is perfect. It's perfect. What have you been praying for? Think about it. What's some of the things that you've been praying for? What have you been going before God and saying, God, I need this, right? I need you to hear me out on this. What are you truly praying for? Now, if he were to answer you, would you be ready for it? Would you be ready for the answer? We might be praying for an opportunity to serve in ministry. But that opportunity may mean more of a sacrifice and a commitment on your end. I mean, are you ready for that? What have you been praying for? Like we mentioned before, you may be praying for a better career and then God says, Okay. And then he says, okay, well, I'm going to take you out of here real quick. Will you be ready for it?
you're praying for a particular relationship and you leave it in God's hands and are you ready for the answer if God removes that person? Are you ready for it? Can you guys stand to your feet, please? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And what we should be doing as we wait for the return of Christ is to continue to prepare ourselves to receive him. Continue to prepare ourselves to clean the house. You know when somebody's coming? Listen, I don't know. I, we've been married over 12 years, and I still tell my wife, like, it's already clean. What is wrong with you? It's already clean. Like, what else are you going to do? You just did that already. Why are you going to do it again? <laughs> but that's how we should be doing in our wait for the king. It's a constant cleaning and cleaning and, and throwing out the filth and, and cleaning and cleaning and throwing out the filth because on a daily basis, we have to renew our minds. On a daily basis, we have to go before him. We have to be intentional. We're living in times, and, and we don't even talk about this enough, but we're living in times that spiritual warfare is at a whole nother level. Whole nother level. But don't doubt. Don't doubt, no matter how strong that spiritual warfare may be against what God wants to do in your life, no matter how strong it may seem or how evil it is, don't doubt God's ability to overcome it. And don't doubt his ability to use you to overcome it. Today, God is saying, I want to use you. I want to send you out. I want you guys to stand firm. Don't doubt and say, well, you can't be talking to me because, you know, I haven't really been, I haven't really been that faithful. And, you know, sometimes, listen, guess what? Make a decision right now, today. That's all. Don't worry about what you've been doing or how you've been doing or the life in the past or this and that. No, no, I don't care. He's calling you today. And you have a choice to make today. Simple. Don't worry about what you did yesterday. Don't worry about how you, did, how you lived last week. You have a choice to make today. Knowing that he's called you to preach the gospel, knowing that he's called you to, 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 to testify of his goodness and his greatness, he's calling you today. And guess what? If you're saying my life isn't right, then make it right today so that you can leave here and be empowered to do what he sent you to do. Father God, right now we come before you, Lord. We need you, Jesus. Look at the hearts of each and every person that is standing here today. Father God, we all have struggled with doubt. Father God, we all question you at times. But that's not the sin. The sin is when we don't move forward still believing you. Church, you know what's the difference between doubt and unbelief? Doubt is knowing that they could do it, but maybe they won't do it. Unbelief is just believing that they, it's not possible. We can be Christians and still doubt. But we can't be Christians living with unbelief. Father God, right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask right now for a supernatural move in all the lives that are here today, that are watching online, Lord, very, at this very moment, tear down any walls, Father God, of insecurity, any walls, Father God, 
of low self-esteem, any walls, Father God, of depression, any walls, Father God, Lord, that are hindering your calling on their lives, hindering their ability to move forward and, and preaching the gospel, the testifying of your greatness and your goodness, anything, Father God, that is hindering it, we ask that you tear it down today. Right now, Lord God. Father God, have your way, Jesus. We need you, Lord. Give them boldness and strength, Lord, to say today is the day that I'm going to leave here different. I'm no longer going to be the same person. I'm going to be on fire for you, Lord. I need you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.